0: Welcome to Future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, and together, we'll explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Future of XYZ is presented in collaboration with Rhode Island PBS. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Future of XYZ. Uh, I am super excited to introduce a conversation on the future of documentary film and documentary filmmaking uh, with my longtime dear friend, Chiami karasawa Jamie, thank you so much for being here on future of xyz thank you so much for having me it's really exciting um well in this episode um we're gonna be talking about what you know really well i mean you founded a company in 2005 called isotope films which produces uh all, all kinds of narrative stories i i would like to say i want to give you a t- chance to talk about that but you 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 won an immense number of awards both as a director but also as a producer in the documentary space, but you spent your career, you know, in the film industry. I, I just want to ground people first and foremost, based on your experience um, and and expertise in this subject,
1: what is documentary film? Like, how do we define it? Well, you know, it's it seems like everything about documentaries become pretty fast and loose over the years. Um, I think originally documentary filmmaking was intended to be a nonfiction motion picture um, that was primarily for the purposes of instruction, education, historical document, or record. And then over the years, for instance, one of the more recent definitions of it was Per Lawrence defines a documentary film as the factual film, which is dramatic, which is interesting because some dramatic. documentary films aren't dramatic, <laughs> Um And they say that it stands out from other types of nonfiction for providing an opinion, a specific message, along with the facts that it conveys, um, which is like your own form of documentation. Um, And then, you know, I I think that documentary filmmaking can be used certainly as a form of journalism, advocacy, personal expression, any of those things. But now the genre has become so morphed um, that and and so influenced um, by narrative filmmaking because people want it to look like something else, feel like something else. And in some ways, I feel like it goes in and out of these these styles where, you know, um, there was like the Penny Bakers and the Mazels who had a very cinema verite approach where it was handheld and you really felt in the moment, whereas now documentary series are very structured to be like true crime series, or they're structured to be like thrillers, or they're structured to be like narrative films. And, you know, that's really, it's really stretching the medium. But some people would argue that that's only enhancing what it is. Um, And some people, you know, like to stick to more direct cinema approaches. So it's been many things over the years.
0: Well, it's super, it's so interesting that you mentioned true crime, because obviously, network TV has a little bit of an obsession with We'll just call it reality TV, true crime, all of this. And your point is well-received, which is I always think documentary film as like some bigger story of fact, you know, that's, that's kind of how I think about it. And okay, one could argue that true crime and reality TV is that, but it doesn't have the heft it's in my opinion. And the, and the storytelling uh, power that a real documentary film does, I mean, you know, we will air uh, just the Thursday after the the Oscar awards, you know, uh, the 95th Oscar Awards happened in Hollywood at the Dolby Theater. Last year, Summer of Soul, which was Questlove's film, you know, of this old footage from the 1969, you know, uh, Har- Harlem, you know, cultural, um, I-, I guess, sum- summer, summer series won the award. I mean, that told a story. But it's also so interesting the way it mixed, in my opinion, kind of these different these different kind of components um as we go in you know right now before the Oscars what are you most excited about in the genre at the moment based on the who's been nominated et cetera I mean you're a member of the Academy Tiami so you you obviously seen a lot of these or all of them including the shorts and the long and, and and everyone
1: in between well I think I mean certainly when I was watching and there's so many there's so many films to consider and you kind of go through, um, just an unbelievable amount of 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 considerations um for the nominees. And a lot of times, you know, some of your favorite um films don't quite make it. I, I I have to point out there's a beautiful film by Margaret Brown called descendant um which is about a slave ship that was discovered off the coast of Louisiana. It's a beautiful film. Um it, I, it certainly deserved to be a nominee. The filmmaking was gorgeous. And again, I think what's interesting about what becomes a nominee um, has a lot to do these days with the promotion. Um and so certain things, certain films that don't quite have the push or or enough uh you know endorsement by various uh, powers that be don't often make it over the edge. But of the nominees right now, I'm really excited about a film called All That Breathes, um, which is a film by Shaunak Sen and it Documents um, these brothers living in Delhi, who have a—it's um, not a conservancy, but but they take in wounded birds. Um, and they have these kite birds that are being felled by pollution and and other disasters that they nurse back to life. And the way that he documents this story is really lyrical and poetic, and it takes its time. And they're not your typical protagonists of any film. They don't exhibit huge emotions. They don't go through any, you know, any any traumas with an exorbitant amount of drama. It's just something that slowly unfolds and gets under your skin. And I think he he said in a recent conversation I watched that he was shooting them for four months before he realized that that wasn't the technique that he wanted to use to present the story. And along with his editor and another filmmaker, he he came upon a situation where you put cameras on sliders and you just slowly let things roll for many, many, many hours at a time. Wow. And then crafted the story over three years. So it's heavy on editing. <laughs> yeah, very heavy on editing, but also very heavy on filming. I mean, when you think of like the film to, to um, actual story, Ratio, it was probably a thousand to one, (laughs) you know what I mean, of filming hours to actually what ends up in the film. And, um, you know, sometimes I think that's what it takes to uh, to tell a story is time. You know, time is your friend watching something unfold over time and really understanding what you're going to value about about the situation is usually completely different than what you go into um, a story with expectations of. And that's what I think is really exciting is like that discovery as a filmmaker, as a as a documentarian, as a journalist watching a story and then seeing, oh, my gosh, the story is not what I thought it was going to be. The story is actually this, you know, who knew? Um, I I mean, what I love what I love about that and I want to talk about some of
0: your films. I mean, you've produced everything from Billy the Kid back in 2008 to a.k.a. Jane Roe, which was so amazing about other the actual Uh, Jane Roe and Roby Wade. You've filmed, you know, Aretha Franklin or Amazing Grace. You produced that Blue Note Records. I mean, you've done a lot of things, but your directorial debut was, you know, with Elaine Stritch, the actress, and uh, of course she she passed away reasonably quickly after it, it, or maybe right before it it debuted at at Sundance in 2014. I I mean, talk to me a little bit because that was, I think, I feel like you gave that time. To develop as a producer and as a director, and built a relationship along the way that was quite intimate. Uh, In in terms of that kind of giving time to the story to unfold, um, talk a little bit about what 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 makes that kind of a documentary so unique, and is it different when you're telling the story of a person, which is of course you can go in with an idea, but you don't know versus the narrative of something historical um, where you might think you already know all the
1: facts or have all the facts. Right, right. Um, I just wanted to make a little correction on that. We premiered at Tribeca, not at Sundance. Okay. <laughs> so we, all right. We weren't ready for Sundance. But um yeah, I all of all of the films that I get involved with are very character driven stories. Um that's kind of my happy place is when you start with somebody's story and you really have a perspective on something that they're going through um or trajectory. I think Issue-oriented films are amazing um, and you have to approach them with a certain amount of objectivity and you're presenting all, you know, perspectives around something. And I find them much less harder to, I mean, much harder, excuse me, to invest myself in. Whereas once you get into a single character or a single couple of characters, it really personalizes things and you can become quite intimate with them as i as i learned and and it certainly is a different experience because it's only their experience but somehow that can be really relatable you know there are things about elaine and it took me a while uh, to get to know her because i think initially she had very preconceived ideas of what a documentary about her would be like um and i think um her one at i mean her her solo performance show at liberty which was documented by um, D.A. Baker and Chris Hedges was beautifully done. Um, but I met Elaine when she was sort of in the twilight of her life. And she was still hanging out at the Carlisle. She she had this stint on 30 Rock that made her, you know, that put her back in the in pop culture, so to speak. And she was still wanting to perform her one-act show and have a national tour of it. And I just thought for somebody that's 87 years old that I came across at a beauty salon um that's how you all met yeah we we um a friend of mine they they have a salon on 57th street and i I was only lucky enough to be able to go there because i know them (laughs) so i get a hugely discounted uh, (laughs) haircut but my hairdresser one day said you know i was i was sitting in the chair and i guess she was the next customer she was going to the shampoo station and i had worked with her um in narrative film, not too long before that, because my first 15 years in the film business, I was working in narrative feature film and television as a script supervisor. Um, and, and and during that time, I just have to interject. Uh, yeah. Chiami
0: Karasawa, script supervisor, I mean, worked, worked with the biggest names in Hollywood. I mean, you worked with Stephen Frears, Martin Scorsese. I mean, Jim Jarmers, Sam Mendes, um I don't know Spike Jones. I believe like <laughs> yeah. you, worked, you worked with the biggest names in the industry, and so I, I'm curious how you also. And I want to hear the Elaine the story, but like you switched from narrative to documentary at some point.
1: Well, I I actually intended to go into you know I always when I went to undergrad film school at Boston University I really wanted to be a director, but I knew that you know once you get out of film school you're, no one's going to give you a job as a director. Um, and and back then, it wasn't really the digital era, so it wasn't so easy to make films about yourself or films by yourself um, and put them on YouTube, for instance. You know, you still had to get your film developed, you had to, you know, cut it, space it all together and, uh, and pay lots of money for all. I was all- going to say, that's
0: expensive, too.
1: Yeah, it's really expensive. So I got a job on a film set as an uh, assistant to a producer who was making an independent film at New Line Cinema called Hanging with the Homeboys. And I got to really see firsthand um, that you needed to spend a lot of time figuring out what all these 50, 60, 100 people do on set before you're going to march on set and be a director. And I decided that the script supervisor had the best vantage point. She had a chair next to the director. She had headphones. She's watching the monitor. She didn't have to coil cable. And I thought, oh, what an easy job that must be. And unfortunately, as many people will tell you, it's one of the hardest jobs on set because you're in charge of all the camera notation, lenses, heights, focal distance, scene numbers, you know, mag rolls. At that time, we're still rolling film. You're in charge of queuing the actors um, on the script. You're in charge of writing all the notes that then go to the editorial department so the editor can figure out what takes um, or which. And then you're also in charge of this thing called continuity, which is matching a, a, an actor's actions from the wide shot to the close up. The 3 months before when they walk in the door and then you're at a different location when they walk in the door you got to match the hand the suitcase was in the purse is on the shoulder the hair and it's just like a hornet's nest of fact and detail that i was not prepared to embrace but i did it you know and i and 15 i 18 re- years you did it successfully I did. yeah i and i really i think one thing in this industry that really defines um your trajectory is your relationships you end up um really having these close relationships with with your colleagues you know directors cinematographers acs heads of all the departments that are in charge of continuity you you eat three meals a day with these people from anywhere from two to eight months and you know you know you get to know each other very intimately it's like a modern day circus where you live together you go on location together and it really has all that drama and excitement and intimacy but the relationships that you build you know when the new circus comes to town, when the next thing, it it's all about the 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 quality of time you spent together, how valuable you were. And I find that directors and people that like to hire me over and over again, it was because I became part of a filmmaking team, not just because I sat there like some court stenographer and took down facts and details. It's like, how is this person going to help me make my next movie? Are they going to be, you know, constructive with me? Are they going to help understand what the vision is and and what I do or don't need to know about specific, you know, annoying details? And I think that you know I really pride myself on having relationships with complex people. You know, we're all all artists are complicated. All situations are going to be very fueled. You know, um, and did this person help me in those moments? So that's kind of more what I take pride in is is having those types of relationships. Well,
0: and I and I what I love, I mean, I I think you absolutely should take pride in that. And knowing you um, as a friend as I do, none of this comes as a surprise. But what's interesting about it, in terms of your founding of Isotope Films in two thousand and five, which is a New York City based production company, you really talk about in in kind of marketing i know you don't do that but in in the about us it's really about character driven true stories i know what you're talking about here in terms of the relationships you were talking about characters and you're yeah. talking about telling true stories so right, right, right. is that the bridge that got you into documentary it's just observing all these people and wanting to tell the story
1: well i yeah sorry i think i veered off of uh, the original question but so i learned while i was um making in in film school and making feature film that i love documentary film as well as narrative film and i felt like i couldn't i i didn't mind the difference between the two of them as long as they're telling me a compelling story and i can get in there with the characters and really go to this other place it didn't matter whether it was a true story or a fictional story that was well told so in my endeavor to start making you know branching out from being a script supervisor to starting my own business or becoming a director or producer um I just by sheer coincidence, I was renting an office space from a woman named Jennifer Vendetti and she had a casting agency. And um I was actually producing an a, a narrative short film at the time and she came and said, like, I wanna have let's have coffee. I want to talk to you about a story that I want to tell. So she pitched me a documentary film. At that point, I was not making documentaries, and thankfully neither Jennifer or I seemed to um know the difference of what that would entail as a producer <laughs> but she said um you know I, there's this i i take i cast real people off the streets of wherever and i put them in ads and commercials and i work with jennifer and the fashion, fashion. yeah you know, she's yeah. very well known she's very well she's amazing at what she does she's um definitely singular in her in her vision of things and known for that so so she said yeah i i i find people that have really interesting stories and then watch the transition from them becoming totally obscure in their own lives to becoming like national billboards or movies or whatever. And I think that's fascinating. So she said, I want to make a film about the various people that, that this happens to. And so we thought we were going to make sort of an omnibus character driven story about all these people. And in fact, I just bought like a Panasonic video camera um, and, DV, which was like the highest form of video at the time, which is ridiculous now when you think of all the HD um, and all the all, all the all the different technical aspects that are out there now. But so I had this camera I had love I'm like, why don't we just start shooting some of these characters that you think are really interesting? Um, and we went up to Maine and she had a cinematographer, Donald Cummings, and he took the camera. They figured out how to work the film package and they were just shooting samples of these people. But it, the first. that they shot over the course of a weekend turned out to be Billy the Kid which was Billy Price, a young kid that she had cast in a short film that she was fascinated by Um, and he let us follow him around and and she um, you know, Donald and Billy had a relationship and Billy gave Donald intimate access to the filming so they came back from that weekend, we screened all the footage and I was like, Jennifer, I think this is a film like this is a whole story has unfolded, you know. So after after editing it and and um, working with a couple different editors, uh, we came upon the narrative of Billy the Kid. We went back in the winter to shoot an extra day because he wanted us to s- film this winter corral concert, and in that in that return, and that was sort of like I think the fourth day of shooting, which is unheard of that you can make a feature documentary after shooting for four or five days. Right. It's actually insane, and it probably set the wrong precedent um, for all of us, but after, after editing it, we submitted to all these film festivals, and we actually won um, the South by Southwest Film Festival, we won the LA Film Festival, we won Melbourne, we won um, Edinburgh, and we thought, oh my God, we're on our way. <laughs> we sold to HBO. I mean... You know it was probably the easiest trajectory of any film um winning any award that there's been in the history of documentary um and and
0: that would have been i mean it's it's an amazing story um and i and i completely forgotten the story of this actually until you just told it um but i'm curious i mean and and i'm watching time as well but like has in the same era like we we have streaming introduced streaming tv right streaming everything introduced in the, just the last like you know five five years let's call it right 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 and billy the kid was released in 2007 2008 like is is has streaming offered in a new opportunity for documentary film in a new way or do you, how do you think it's affecting it
1: i think i think streaming is um is 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 wonderful and also really unfortunate um, because it it's there's so much content out there. Anybody can make a documentary film. Documentary is this genre that's so broad and um, you know, you really have to pick and choose to find quality films. The good news is that there's more opportunities for people to get distributed and the bad news is it's just, you know, a sort of dump of everything. Um, and it's harder to find films that are really wonderful. Um, there's more opportunities for anybody to be a filmmaker. Um, but it just makes uh, the choosing of it more complicated. So, and i and I think that that streamers are learning now that they can't um they have to be really selective in their choices because audiences are sophisticated. They're really discerning. Um, there's there's been some really creative, wonderful things that have happened because you don't need tons of money. and that's Kind of why I got into documentary, because on a feature, even on a feature independent film, you have to have a lot of money. You have to raise a lot of money that usually hinges on getting, um, you know, a celebrity and their whatever schedule to align. In documentary, you had this little camera. and We just started following this kid around. It's a little bit different now, of course, um, but but it's all all the precedent of that true story
0: that you get to tell in in your authentic way. Right. It's so we think about wrapping up here. It's, um, she, I mean, I'm curious specifically, you know, I think about, you know, DEI, like representation, let's call it a diverse and inclusive perspectives, both in front of and behind the camera. I mean, what is your I mean, as we look ahead five to 10 years, I mean, as the expert that you are in filmmaking and specifically documentary what besides the representation and hopefully that is a trend that will continue do you think is coming down the pipeline and and what's your greatest hope as well
1: i i mean i really just hope that that the medium continues to embrace um creative ideas of of structure and form and and mostly that we continue to tell stories that that are universally connective you know, that, that illuminate. um, I think what I love most about documentary is the kind of people that have access to making documentaries now can be anyone. Um, You know, you can tell a story. uh, There was a really wonderful film um, that told the story of the Amazon and, you know, the disappearing indigenous wildlife and how people's lives are being compromised by, you know, by uh, by all of the um, industry, and you can tell the story that takes place in New Delhi about about you know bird conservators, and you can tell a story about your uncle, you know, uh, and about Navalny. and about Navalny. I mean, there's so many so many different ways that we can bring stories to the screen now, and I I just hope that that continues and people refine their abilities in storytelling, and that we continue to want to. Know and see these diverse stories and be inspired by them.
0: Um, Shkami Karasawa, um, producer, director, documentary filmmaker, founder of Isotope Films, among other accolades, thank you for joining us on Future of XYZ today about a fascinating conversation on the future of documentary film. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. (laughs) Um, Well, Thank you for that. And everyone watching or listening, uh, if you're watching, you know already where to find us on YouTube at uh, Rhode Island, ripbs.org forward slash XYZ, or you can find Future of XYZ anywhere you get your favorite podcast. Please follow us on Instagram uh, at Future of XYZ and be sure to leave a five-star review wherever you're paying attention to this. Uh, we look forward to seeing you in two weeks' time. And uh, again, Chiemi, thank you, thank you, thank you. It was a great conversation
1: on the future of documentary film. Thank you. Thanks so much, Lisa. It was wonderful.